Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. But well, we are in the third week of our series, and the question is, it's been the same question all along, why would God tell Hosea to marry a prostitute? Well, that's a great question, but the story isn't over yet, because as you're going to see up on the screen, there are messages from the Lord, and then there are messages from the Lord. As you study God's Word, you're going to find out uh, that it was not uncommon for the Lord to use both visible and striking symbols with his prophets to reinforce especially important messages. He had a way of getting his message across to people in some really pretty strange ways. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to kind of come to the conclusion that the Israelites were really a bunch of spiritual dullards. I don't know why I chose that word, but I couldn't think of a kinder word. Their, their hearts just hardened almost instantaneously, it seemed. And so they needed all the help they could get so that they could actually grasp the concept of how deeply sinful they really were. And so God used interesting people and interesting strange signs to get their attention. I'm going to give you a few of these. Mark alluded to these back, I think, in chapter 1 a few weeks ago. At one time, he told the prophet Jeremiah to go and buy a belt. And when he bought the belt, he said, now bury it in the ground, which he did. And after a period of time, he was told to go dig it back up again. And of course, by this time, uh, the belt was useless. And the message that Jeremiah was to give is simply that Israel would soon be destroyed and they too would be considered useless. Now, Ezekiel, one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, uh, used the sign as much as anyone. In fact, that book seems to be loaded with strange things. At one time, he was actually told to pick up his Bible or his scroll and eat it. How about that for a challenge today? When you get home today, eat your Bible. Well, when he ate his Bible, it tasted to him like honey. And it was kind of a, a symbol uh, that he was to digest not only the word, but also to digest the message that God had to give him. Now, if that wasn't enough, Ezekiel then was told to build a, a model of the city of Jerusalem and then lay tied up next to it. And he was supposed to lay there one day for every year of Israel's sin. Now, how would you like to be Ezekiel and people walking by and go, how you doing, Zeke? How many more days? What's this supposed to mean? And he would say, someday you're going to be tied up and besieged, you and this city. Later, Ezekiel had a more, kind of another interesting sign, kind of a difficult message to deliver when the Lord allowed his precious wife to die, which was to be a symbol of how the Lord was essentially going to allow this dear city of Jerusalem and its temple to die, to be destroyed as well. So what I'm saying is extreme sin seems to call from God an extreme message. And maybe today's message is kind of an extreme message. In fact, these whole, all these messages from Hosea have been pretty extreme. The Israelites somehow needed to come to grips with the gravity of their sin. Now, as I've gone through these three weeks, I have been reminded myself the gravity of my sin. 
And I don't say that just kind of off to the side because there are many times like you, I don't think I sin much. In fact, there are times in my life I think I'm a pretty good guy. I remind my wife of that regularly. I try to remind other people, but then every once in a while I come face to face with just the utter depravity of man. And so you see, extreme sin calls for an extreme message. And this morning, we're going to hear one more time uh, how the Lord is using another visible and extremely, to me, striking message. It's another message because these folks just plain simple weren't learning. You know, as I've been going through this book, I've been wondering what it would have been like to be a prophet in those days. If you go through and you read all of those minor prophets and major prophets in the Old Testament, you ought to ask yourself, what would it have been like for you to have to deliver that message? Now, take you back to the year 750 BC, the kingdom of Israel had really been torn apart, uh, the, leaving the land of Israel in the north where they were doing about every sin imaginable, and Judah in the south was trying to catch up with them very fast. But that was only the start of Hosea's difficult message to his people. And I'm gonna take you back very quickly to the first week when Mark shared these words, when it says, go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Did any of those words offend you a little bit? It kind of offended me initially, it didn't offend me, but I think I kind of leaned back a little bit in my chair when I first heard those words again from a pulpit of all places. Those are not words we normally hear in church until we find ourselves thinking, I wonder if he could be talking to me. I wonder if I might be included in these words somehow. See, it was to be another extreme message against the extreme sin of Israel. And he was told to marry this adulterous prostitute because their marriage was supposed to be kind of a symbol of this kind of prostituting ways of the children of Israel. But see, God loved his people, but they had committed spiritual adultery. They spiritually cheated on him, just like Gomer did on Hosea. And this was to remind them of that. I mean, this is an extreme message. But that was not the end of this difficult but really clear message because we got more of it in chapter 2. God told them even to name their kids interesting things. I don't know what you've done when you've gone around to naming your children. Uh, I, I remember uh, talking about what I was going to name our son uh, when he was first born, and my grandma said, no, you don't want to name him that. And so he got stuck with the name Eric instead, which is also a good name anyway. But imagine being told by God that you should name your first boy Jezreel. And Jezreel was named after a city where there was an absolutely horrendous massacre of people. That would be kind of like today, what are you naming your kids? Oh, I think we're going to name him Twin Towers. Oh, you don't want to name him that. Okay, well, my, my second one, I was going to call him covid you don't want to do, well, let's, let's name the first boy Pandemic. Now, the other children got some really cool names, too. The daughter was Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. The boy 
or it, that was to remind that God no longer loved them. The third child, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. I was kind of thinking back the other day, what would it be like the kids are outside playing and it's time for supper and you shout out into the whole neighborhood, uh, come on in for supper, not loved. Come on in for supper, not my people. Or imagine bedtime, walking into the little bedrooms and saying, good night, not my people. Good night, not loved. Pretty sad thing. But again, this was meant to be an extreme message uh, to catch the attention of Israelites. Uh, the people had been unfaithful, their sin, their lack of repentance, their unbelieving hearts had led them to a place where they were no longer loved. They were no longer God's people. So what happened to this message? Did it get their attention? Well, not really. They continued their whoring ways. They continued to commit uh, physical and spiritual uh, prostitution. They continued uh, to commit uh, adultery, open and not so open. They continued to cheat each other and lie and steal in the marketplace. They continued to have priests who were nothing more than dirty, rotten scoundrels. Um, and what happened with Hosea and Gomer? Gomer fell back into all of her old bad habits. Marrying Hosea didn't seem to work. Now, Hosea obviously had loved this wife, even with a sketchy past. But she said, no thanks. She left. Now, this is where we get into chapter 3. The Lord comes to Hosea with yet another striking message that I... I would call, this is a message I would call crazy love. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. I've never thought about calling a sermon. I'm going to have a sermon today about something that's absolutely nuts. It makes no sense at all, but it's just crazy. It's crazy. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. You heard Larry read it before. And the Lord said to me, go again. I mean, stop right. What? I mean, if I'm Jose, what you talking about, Lord? What you talking about? Go again, love a woman, this woman who's now with another guy, who loved by another man and is an adulteress. Well, she's an adulteress because she's supposed to be married to this guy. She's shacking up with this guy. You're going to do this even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, I've got to take a step aside here with this cakes of raisins because you probably wonder what this is. If you know me, I love an oatmeal raisin cookie. I look like I love a cookie, don't I? And if you give me bread pudding, make sure it's got raisins in it. But this is not what's talking about like they're having a picnic. I'm going to give you a little hyperlink or a connection in the biblical narrative back to a prophet named Jeremiah. And I'm just going to read this passage to you very quickly. It said, Their children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, the women need dough to make cakes for the, not the God of heaven, but the Queen of heaven. They're baking cakes for this pagan god. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. So these raisin cakes, God's people, are throwing a potluck for pagan gods. I mean, I put it into modern context. This is a striking message. And the Lord is going to teach both Hosea and Israel. And I want to say, I think he's got a message and a lesson for us as well. It's a lesson in crazy love. See, even though Gomer had cheated and went back to her whoring ways, Hosea was to take her back. And he was not supposed to just cohabitate with her, live in the same house with her. He wasn't just to make do with this woman. 
he was actually to love her, to reestablish a relationship with her so that maybe she would learn to love him as well and they could live in peace and happiness. And when I read that, I go, this is nuts. This is honest to goodness, real, faithful, crazy love. And this love was to be a sign and symbol of the Lord's faithful love. I mean, think about the Lord's faithful love for us. Even though Israel still did not listen, he still loved. I reflect in my own life. I can look in the mirror and say, you know, man, there's times, Barry, when you have not listened to God. And then I say, thank God he still loves me. He still loves me. So Hosea listened, and you're going to see in verses 2 and 3 what he did. He, he went, and he actually had to buy her. Could you imagine going getting your, your wife who's shacked up with some other guy and then paying for her yet besides? He, he goes, and he, he gives her a few pieces of silver and a couple bushels of barley. Now, I had to look up what 30 shekels equals, and in today's money, $8.79. That's a cheap date. <laughs> $8.79. I mean, Gomer was worth so little that she cost the price of a common slave. Or as one commentator I read, she was actually a half price. She was a discounted slave. But he bought her back. He redeemed her. And I could probably launch into another sermon here. Does that sound familiar? that somebody would pray, pay the price for somebody who's unfaithful and buy you back? I think I read a story like that once in the Bible. Something about God loving me and the world so much that he would send his son to redeem us from sin and death and he would pay the price not with $8.79, Although 30 was involved, it was 30 pieces of silver. He brought her back. And then he tells her, you must dwell as mine. In other words, you need to live with me like an honest-to-goodness wife lives with an honest-to-goodness husband. There's an indefinite time period, and we don't know how long it is, but obviously long enough to restore the relationship. And he says, you shall not play the whore anymore. You will not belong to any other man, and so I will be with you as well. This was to be, I guess what we call a monogamous relationship. Now, this time of purification, if you will, this time which would hopefully bring about a longing. I mean, you, you almost, if you're looking at this as a soap opera, you're hoping, man, I hope these people get together and they honestly get to the point where they long for one another, that they want to be intimate with one another. They want to just, they just want to have love in, in, in every imaginable way. Is kind of what God is saying here, too, in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, For the children of Israel are going to dwell many days, doesn't say how many days, without a king. Don't have kings anymore. Not even going to have a prince. Without sacrifices, you're not going to see the sacrificial system going on anymore. You're going to go to the temple and take care of this and offer these goofy sacrifices you've been doing. Maybe the pillar that he's talking about could have reminded them of how God led them through the pillar of fire and, and light way back in Exodus, or, or without the ephod. And if you want the ephod, the priest would wear this little thing with the Urim and the Thummim, and they were trying to figure out what God wanted to do. And so they would use this to find out what God wants. So they're not even going to get direction anymore from anybody telling them what God wants 
and you're not going to have any of your household gods. Do you have any household gods? When I lived in Hong Kong, you would see the household gods sitting outside the doors, little Buddhas. You go into a place like that, you'd see other little statues. You have these little gods that you kind of worship and you rub their head and on days you would put flowers or fruit out for them. You know, you, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to take care of all the gods just in case you miss one. And God would say, how many do you need? Well, the Israelites would say, well, obviously we don't have enough yet. <laughs> and God says, no, you got one. You got one. See, this message was loud and clear. The Israelites are going to be punished for their sins. The land is going to be destroyed. They were going to be hauled off into captivity. And yet, God would still love them. He still desired to bring them back. See, the intention was that this whole event, all of this stuff going on, would lead them to actually not only confess, but to repent of those sins, to turn and come back and realize the faithful love of the Lord for them. This is what verse 5 is talking about. He said, afterwards, after you have come to your senses, if you will, after the children of Israel, they shall return and they shall seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Sometime they're going to come to their senses. See, this was the ultimate visible and striking message from the Lord. This is what I call a lesson in crazy love. Now, certainly, every married person here, and some of you younger people who hope to be married someday, I think you, you probably appreciate the concept of having a faithful spouse and how terrible it is when one is not faithful to the other. That's a tragedy. There's hurt and there's pain. Unbelievable. Now, using that little parable, imagine how upset God must have been with the people of Israel. Time after time, they rebelled against him. They worshiped the golden calf while in the desert, while they could sit and look up at Mount Sinai and see the very presence of God, and still they worshiped a cow. They worshiped Baal, or Baal, Lair. They worshiped the Asherah pole. If you can imagine, I'm not even going to describe what that thing was. Sometimes they actually sacrificed their, their children to Molech by throwing them in the fire. We might even compare that to abortion in these days. They struggled with sexual sin over and over and over again. They were constantly greeting. They were hoarding money. They were holding stuff back. They were not bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. Their leaders were corrupt. It was sin after sin after adultery after adultery after adultery. And so God had every right in this world or the cosmos to divorce himself from these people. But he didn't. Right there is really good news. But he didn't. The Lord instead showed them and I believe he showed us true, real, crazy, faithful love. I find this story almost unbelievable in a way. It's shocking to begin with, but it's almost unbelievable. I mean, can you believe the crazy love God has for his people? Can you believe 
Mark, the crazy love he has for you, or Lair, Joel, any of us, go home today and look in the mirror and say, my God is crazy in love with me. Now, you'll feel a little bit weird, but that's exactly the way he feels about you. He's in love with you. He desires to cohabitate with you, to live with you, to dwell in you, to do everything that we can do together. Now, some of you might be saying, well, hold it. I'm not all that bad. I mean, after all, I don't have a golden calf at my house. I don't worship Baal, Baal, <laughs> or the Asherah. I don't have an Asherah pole in my living room. But you know something? I think we do worship a lot of things. How about worshiping the almighty dollar? You ever hear that term before? You know, we, some people do almost anything they can to make, a mo to make money. I mean, we work until we're sick. Uh, we work so much that other things become more important than our family or our spouses. We lie, we cheat, we steal. Some people actually cheat on their taxes. We find shortcuts and loopholes. We use little plastic cards to buy things we cannot and perhaps should not and cannot afford. And surely, I don't know that there's any culture in all of history that has succumbed to the temptations of sex like America. You didn't know this is going to be a sex talk yet, too. This is going to be the third week of sex. Sorry about it. But it's in the Bible. I mean, it's everywhere. Every new movie, every best-selling book, every magazine, every commercial you turn on, every web page, every junk piece of mail are all filled with sexual temptation. I could probably ask our college students today, you know what the number, song, number one song in America is today? I think it's spelled W-A-P. I'm not even going to begin to tell you what that song is about, but it is an obscene, ridiculous song that people are singing. The person who actually recorded the song re referred to our president's wife using that term. That's how, it's like, how low do we need to go? And if that's not bad enough, Netflix comes out with cutie pies, out and out children porno pornography, grooming young children to be available for sex. This is the society that you and I live in today. And we need to be honest with ourselves. And we don't hold anything back. I mean, we can't sugarcoat some of the things that we get involved with. And in a way, we are really not much different than Gomer at times in our lives. Uh, sin after sin, walking away from God, walking away from God. And God would have every right in this world to divorce himself from us, dooming and damning us. Now, I'm going to show you how culture influences even that statement. When I wrote dooming and damning, word corrected the word damning because it says, quote, this language may be offensive. And I thought, the heck with you. I'm leaving the word damning in here. See, this is an extreme message, all three chapters. This is an extreme message about extreme sin, but it's also about extreme love. Now, God's word, since that time, has spanned 2,700 years, reaching into the 21st century, giving us a striking message about the seriousness of our sin. Yet at the same time, he is pumping out this message continually through his word and through people like Pastor Mark and other faithful pastors of the word around this world about a lesson in crazy love.
just like Hosea was showing to Gomer and hoping that she would learn. Someone told me one time, we are helpless and hopeless, which is just where God wants us. <laughs> and I had to stop and think about that for a while. But when we reached the, we reached the point where we realized by ourselves, it's, it's a hopeless situation and we can't do anything about it. We need somebody to intervene in our life. We are lost people. Let me jump into the New Testament. We'll get out of the Old Testament for a while. Jump into the New Testament. Jesus is teaching one day and the Pharisees, you know those people, you can all say boo hiss, those, those religious bigots. They were making fun of Jesus. Why? Because he was hanging out with sinners. Now, who are these sinners? Well, these were prostitutes. These were thieves. Yeah, you name it. Jesus hung out with sinners. What was Jesus' response? He didn't say, well, you evil, wicked, bad, and nasty people go fry in hell. He told a parable told an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told the parable about lost sheep, indicating that he would go to any lengths, not underline that word any, any lengths to save a lost sheep. Would you? Do you know anybody that's lost? I know people that are lost. I'm sure you probably do. Would you go to any lengths to share the love of Jesus with them? But see, that's exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus just, just didn't go to seek these lost people. He saved those lost people. And again, I think we can relate to the pain and the anger that's involved with an unfaithful spouse. Yet Jesus has shown us, he's shown us his unfaithful bride, true, real, faithful, and crazy love over and over again. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go back and read that, Paul is talking about marriage. Great chapter. And he says, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Those of you that are regular attenders know that Mark often says when we have communion, is this the body of Christ? Or is this the body of Christ? And the answer is what? Yes, it is. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are his church. And Jesus loves this church, and he gave his life for this church and all the people who are part of this church. See, his love for the lost was so great that he doesn't just say he loves us. I mean, it's one thing to kind of mouth that to somebody. Uh, do you like, well, yeah, I love you. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just take us back he doesn't just give us a second chance, kind of like Hosea and Gomer. He actually shows the love to us. I mean, the Bible is littered with his love. That sounds like a strange thing, combining littered with love. But his love for the lost is so faithful, he's even willing to take all of our sins and pile them on his shoulders to the point where God can't even look at him on the cross. He was willing to suffer what we deserve. He was willing to face death and hell for us. I mean, this true story about Hosea and Gomer took place 2,700 years ago. It's an extreme message. It really is. But it's meant to wake up the Israelites. And should it wake us up too? Maybe it should. Extreme sin. At the same time, it's an extreme message that highlights the extreme faithful love of our God. 
I mean, nearly three millennia later, this message has not changed. That's God's word. God's word never changes. God's crazy love does not change. So no matter what any of you have done, no matter what I have done, and no matter how bad my sins or your sins, God's love is faithful. I praise him for that every day that, that he still loves me. He loves me in spite of myself. See, Jesus came to, sake, to, save the, to seek and to save the lost. That means he came to seek and save who? You. Came to, came to save you, Mark. Came to save you, Lair. Came to save me. I mean, that, that's powerful. And so we continue to look at this prophecy in Hosea. And what do we see at the tail end of verse 5? When he comes to seek and he saves us, he does that so that we will come in fear and trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in these last or these latter days. I don't know, what, know if you know what's going on this weekend in America. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of churches were participating in a time dedicated to prayer and repentance. Actually, today is called Repentance Sunday. Did you know that? It's Repentance Sunday. It's also been organized and endorsed by the leaders from a lot of Christian churches, a lot of Christian missionary ministries. Also, this day is kind of interesting, September 27th, it's Yom Kippur. You're going, what? <laughs> okay, Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. It's the day to make atonement for your sins. It's among one of the most sacred days in the Jewish calendar. And I think for the church, uh, this is a great time, a day of repentance, because it's an opportunity to practice what I learned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in Bible class. And what is that? That is to return to our first love, to seek forgiveness, and to pray that God would forgive not only our corporate sins, but our personal sins. See, Scripture is very clear that a nation experiencing division and calamity and guess what? We are that nation today. The first step for us is probably repentance. Now, repentance is something that we often talk about, but outside of a church service, rarely actually do. Now, I've had a debate back and forth with some people. Isn't confession and repentance the same? And I would suggest to you that it's not. Confession is just merely acknowledging that I've been whoring around, that I've been unfaithful to the God who loves me. Will God forgive that? Yes. But have I repented yet? Maybe. Maybe. Repentance really means to turn around and go the other way. I'm no longer going to do that. I'm no longer going to go a whoring like Gomer. I'm going to come back and be faithfully united with my husband. See, I think it's always time. I mean, it's always time for us to do this, to fall before the Lord in thanks and in praise, to give him your all, to give him your best, to be faithful, to be faithful and to thank him for his love, his crazy love that's always been and always will be perfectly available to you.
Can I leave you with a challenge today? If you can wrap your head around these three chapters of Hosea, this crazy love God has for you and lost people, go share that with someone who doesn't know it yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love, your gracious love, your faithful love, your crazy love, love that just astounds us and astonishes us. Return us to you. May we combine our times of confession and repentance to not only say we're sorry for doing this, but also to ask by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we turn away from that, that we don't return to it, and that you would just maybe sit on our shoulder or thump us in the back of the head the next time we think about going and doing some of the things we are guilty of to remind us of how much you love us. And Father, as we are privileged to know the good news of Jesus Christ, we are privileged to know what it means to be loved by a Savior. We pray that you would point us in the direction of someone who perhaps does not know it or perhaps does not know it to this depth. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.